About five months ago, my wife and I were blessed with our second child, a little daughter. Her arrival into the world and her being part of our family has brought some new challenges, a wee bit of sleep deprivation, but above all else, it's brought us very much joy. But she has also on a few occasions been the cause of her older sister experiencing the intense emotion of jealousy. And when we put ourselves in the position of a firstborn child, who until the arrival of their little sibling has been the exclusive recipient of her parents' attention, we can understand the jealousy. Someone has come along and interrupted an unbroken relationship. Someone is getting in the way. And when we watch the firstborn child, it's so plain to see that they're jealous for the love of their parents. They will come to understand eventually. But at first, they feel strongly that the embrace of mom or dad should be theirs and theirs alone. They're jealous for love. I want you to keep that thought in mind. And I want to turn our attention to the passage that we read this morning. Because in Exodus 34, we find Moses called up onto Mount Sinai for a second time to commune with God. And the reason he has had to go up on Mount Sinai for a second time is because when he returned down from his first time of communion, he found the Israelites in open rebellion, worshipping a golden statue of a calf that had been made by Aaron at the demand of the people for gods to worship. And when Moses saw this with righteous anger, he took the two tablets of stone and he smashed them. These tablets in which God had written, the Bible says, with the finger of God, he wrote those Ten Commandments. And now, after dealing with the Israelites, and after erecting the tabernacle some distance outside the camp of the Israelites, Moses is once again called by God to come up the mountain. As we read in verse 1 of chapter 34, he's told to hew two tablets of stone, and I will write upon these tables. Now, I want you to go with me even further, because 1,500 years later, 1,500 years after Moses went up Sinai to receive the law from God, when Israel was now under the control of the Roman Empire, this law, the law that was given to Moses, was the subject of a discussion between the Lord Jesus Christ and the Pharisees. And I wish to read three verses to you from Matthew 25. Listen carefully. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And I bring that passage to your attention after remarking on what's happening in Exodus 34. Because the Lord Jesus Christ in those verses took the entire law of God, the summary law, that is the Ten Commandments, and he reduced it to one principle, which is love. All the commandments given to God's people... In Exodus chapter 20, and all the laws that flowed out of those commandments, the Lord Jesus Christ encapsulated all of them in one word, love. 
Love for God and love for your neighbor. And our text this morning is found in verse 14 of Exodus 34. It says, For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. And when we come to this text this morning, we are being taught this. God is jealous for his people's love. God is jealous for his people's love. I want, as we consider this passage, to first of all point out to you that we are taught about God's character. Who is this God who is jealous for his people's love? And what is his character? Well, in this text, God's character is revealed by the use of three names. And when we are given the names of God in the Bible, we have to learn that they're not just like your name and mine. They're not simply used to identify God. That's all my name is. It just identifies me. But God's names don't merely identify him, but they actually describe him. They describe some aspect of his divine person. They teach us about his character. And the first of God's names used in this verse This verse 14 of Exodus 34 is the Lord in all capitals. This is how the authorized version of the Bible translates Jehovah, which is the personal name of God. This name was first given by God to Moses back in Exodus chapter 3. Perhaps you could turn back there with me, please. Exodus chapter 3. Let's have a look at that verse together. Exodus 3 and verse 13. When Moses sees the burning bush and he draws aside to understand how this can be, that the bush is is burning but it's not consumed, then he's commanded in Exodus 3 and verse 5 by God to put off his shoes from his feet for the place whereon he stands is holy ground. Now Exodus 3 and verse 13. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. This is the name that is first given in Exodus 34 and verse 14. I am. Jehovah is the name of God that teaches us that God is self-sufficient. It teaches us that God is independent. God does not rely on any other being for his existence. He is the great I am. None of us can say this. We all had a beginning There was a time when we did not exist and we were dependent upon our parents to bring us into this world. But God is the great I am. He's self-sufficient and he depends on no one. Very quickly, one other thing that this name, the Lord Jehovah, teaches us about God is that he is eternal. Because in the name, the description of himself, I am There's no distinction between past and present and future, as there is with us. But when God says and describes himself with the words, I am, he's telling that with God, everything is equally present. He's eternal. Everything is equally present. Psalm 90 and verse 2 says, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. 
Now, you've probably heard that verse before, but don't let familiarity stop you from thinking about it. This is what we should do when we read God's Word. We need to try to think. Think what it means to be everlasting. Try to imagine eternity. If you do, you'll very quickly realize that it's beyond your comprehension and mine and everyone's. God is completely beyond our comprehension. We can't really grasp the concept of eternity in our minds, but the Bible tells us that He is eternal. The Bible tells us that He has no beginning and no end. And the Bible tells us, and God reveals to us through this name, I am, that He is independent of all other beings. And so although we can't fully comprehend it, we can at very least be impressed by what this means, about the character of God. The second name that's given in our text, Exodus 34 and 14, is God. At the end of the verse, we want to consider this name next. The Hebrew word Elohim is a general term for deity. And in comparison to the word Lord, which teaches us about God's self-sufficiency and his eternity, the name God teaches us about God's greatness. This name tells us that God who calls himself by this name, is all-powerful. It teaches us that he has all authority and that he does whatever he pleases. And it's important to note that this is the name that God chose to put in Scripture in Genesis 1 and verse 1, the very opening sentence of the Bible, in the beginning, God, Elohim, the all-powerful, the the all-sufficient one, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, these two names that we have considered briefly are used thousands of times in the Bible. But there's one then in the verse that is quite unique. We find in Exodus 34 and verse 14, For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord, Jehovah, whose name is Jealous. This is the only time in Scripture that we find the word Jealous with a capital J being attributed to God as a name of God. Jealous. And as we've noted, God's names teach us about God's nature. So we're being taught here that God's character includes the attribute of jealousy. Now, whenever I was uh, in Sunday school, we learned a little chorus about the rabbits in the fields of corn. I don't know if any of you have ever heard that one. But there's a line in the chorus that goes like this. Envy, jealousy, Malice and pride, these shall never in my heart abide. Now maybe, perhaps, if the boys and girls here know that chorus, and you've been listening to the message so far, I hope you have, maybe you're wondering, well, jealousy's not good. Envy, jealousy, malice, and pride, these shall never in my heart abide. Well, how can God be jealous? How can that be? Because God can't sin. The word that's in the Bible here, in Exodus 34 and verse 14, means to be zealous. It's teaching us that God has a holy displeasure against sin. It's not telling us about sinful jealousy. It's not telling us about the sin that you and I would commit if we see someone who has a nice toy or the very latest edition of our favorite car and there's a little bit of envy, a little bit of jealousy in us because we would like that thing. This is not what Hebrews 30, uh, Exodus 34 and verse 14 means at all. This is a holy jealousy, a holy anger and displeasure 
against sin. And when God is jealous, it's caused by his holiness. He's jealous for what is good. He's jealous for what is holy. And specifically what we consider this morning, he's jealous for the worship and the love of his people, which belongs only to him. This particular version of the Hebrew word is only ever used of God's holy jealousy. There are verses in the Bible that talk about jealousy. One that I might mention later, Proverbs 21, it says, Jealousy is the rage of a man. In that context, it's speaking of a man whose wife has been guilty of adultery. And it says, Jealousy is the rage of a man. But this word is only ever used of God's holy jealousy. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 5, where the commandments are first given, God said, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them in the second commandment, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. I want your worship, and I want your love in its entirety. You're not to worship any other gods. And in Deuteronomy 4 and verse 24, it says, For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. And although it's been brief, These three names, Lord, Jehovah, and God, Elohim, and now, Jealous, they teach us about the character of this God. This God who is jealous for your love, child of God. This is the one who is jealous for your love. And I want now to consider in the second place, not only God's character, but God's covenant His covenant. One fact about the name Jehovah that I haven't mentioned already is that this is the name that the Bible generally uses when it speaks about salvation. The Lord, Lord in all capitals. Jonah 2 and verse 9, salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of Jehovah. And therefore, this name is often described as God's covenant name because it's the name that's used when God talks about salvation, the salvation of his covenant people. Look back with me just a few verses in Exodus 34 at verse 6. The Lord has called Moses up to Mount Sinai. And in verse 6 it says, And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Think, having considered the character of God, how great he is, how powerful he is, how he's independent from all other beings. And now think how wonderful it is that he would make a covenant with sinful people and that he would be merciful and gracious and long-suffering towards people who don't deserve anything of the sort. Because that's what God has done. God, out of his own mercy, chose the people of Israel at that time in the Old Testament. And he said to them in Exodus 20, I am the Lord, Jehovah, Thy God. In contrast to all the people around them, whom God was allowing to continue in their sin, he chose this insignificant little nation, and he said to them, I am the Lord, thy God. That's a special thing. To hear from God, and to hear him say to us this morning, if you're saved this morning, think of this. God says to you, I am the Lord, thy God. You may have very few possessions, but you have a God who has called himself your God, who has loved you with an everlasting love. 
And he has made a covenant. Psalm 103 and verse 10 says, He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. The Lord has offered salvation to wicked people through a covenant, through an agreement. And by this covenant, he, will promise, he promises to bring them out of bondage to sin and to make them his people. And it's on the terms of that covenant that we are able to call God my God. Now, as I mentioned earlier, during Moses' first time on Mount Sinai, the Israelites, not knowing how long it would be until Moses returned down off the mountain, they forgot. They forgot the command of God. And they began to lust in their hearts after an idol to worship. Now remember, this is what they had seen the countries around them doing. Remember that God had brought them out of Egypt, a nation that was filled with idolatry. So this is just like you being influenced to do what all the sinners around you are doing. And though it would seem strange to us to want to go and get gold and melt it down and make an image of a calf and worship a golden calf, they were simply being laid they were simply being drawn into the sins of the ungodly nations around them. That's what was happening. And that worship of the golden calf demonstrated that Israel was a nation of sinners. The fact that they disobeyed God and that they so wickedly turned against him in such a short space of time, even as they were able to look at Mount Sinai, which the Bible tells us was literally smoking and quaking, And there was a fire and a cloud descending on the mount. And they knew that Moses was meeting with God. Even while that was all going on. They turned to an idol. And that demonstrated that they were a nation of covenant breakers. Doesn't the New Testament say that in the last days, that is one of the aspects of humanity? They'll be covenant breakers. They'll be implacable. They'll have no natural affection. They'll be ungodly. They'll be unrighteous. Israel was no different. The Israelites were not able to keep a covenant perfectly themselves. They were a nation of covenant breakers. And you and I this morning, the same is true of us. No man, no woman, and no boy or girl is able to keep the moral law, the Ten Commandments of God, perfectly. But God's people Israel and the entire church of Christ is saved not by their fulfillment of the requirements of the covenant, but by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the one who's called in John chapter 1, the Word. And that means that being the eternal Word, the Son of God, it was He, the Son of God, or God the Son, who gave the law. He spoke the law to Moses. He administered that law in information, in words, to Moses and to the entire nation of Israel. And do you know what he said when he came and he lived on this earth? He said, I came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill. Christ not only gave the law, but he fulfilled it. He is the mediator of the covenant of grace in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In other words, he has always been the one who stands between God and men and offers a way of salvation because he is the one who fulfilled the law of God that you couldn't keep and that the Israelites couldn't keep. And this covenant is how God, the self-sufficient, the great and the all-powerful God, 
makes a way for sinners like you to be saved. This is how it's done. And I want in the third place to consider God's commandment. Our theme is God is jealous for the love of his people. In Exodus 34 and verse 14, we find a repetition of the first commandment that's given to us in Exodus chapter 20. You might just uh, like to turn back and just read that to refresh your mind. Exodus chapter 20 begins in verse 2 with, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. There's God setting his love on a people that were powerless and unable to please him themselves. And then in verse 3, here's what he commands the people that he has chosen. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's the commandment that's repeated then in Exodus 34 and verse 14. Thou shalt worship no other god. And the reason we should worship no other god and the command, and in some sense you could say the caution that's given, is for the Lord whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. God is jealous of your love. And therefore this morning, child of God, you're to worship no other god. And I'm to worship no other god. In Exodus 20 and verse 5, when the Lord said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The phrase before me does not mean that we're to ensure that all the other things we love are just kept a bit lower. No. The phrase before me means before my face. In the sight of God. And where, tell me, where can God not see? And so this morning God says to you and to me, Thou shalt have no other gods before my face. In other words, you shall have no other gods. Because God sees everything. He sees every part of us. He knows every thought. And his commandment to his people is, Thou shalt have no other gods before my face. In the sight of the all-seeing God, we are to worship no other at all. God is jealous for his people's love, you see, Not only because of his divine and perfect character that merits our love, but also because of the covenant that he has made with us to redeem us from our sins. And we need to challenge our hearts this morning. And as I close, think carefully about this, as will I. We need to challenge our hearts. Christ challenged the heart of a young man, a young Pharisee who came to him in the New Testament and inquired, good master, How might I have eternal life? And the Lord Jesus reiterated some of the commandments to him, which are drawn from the table of the Ten Commandments. And the young man replied, These have I kept from my youth up. In his mind, he had ticked all the boxes. Being a Pharisee, he would be very, very careful about the outward observance, the performance, the rituals of keeping the hundreds of laws that those individuals sought to keep. But Jesus replied then to tell him to go and sell all that thou hast. And Jesus told him to take up thy cross and follow me. And do you know what we read then about the young man who was very proud about his outward performance? The Bible tells us he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. That young man loved other gods. His heart 
did not belong to Jehovah. His heart did not belong to Elohim. He loved other things. And it was evident in his response. He went away sorrowful. He did not have love for the Lord Jesus Christ that would have then caused him to obey the Lord and to sell all that he had and to take up his cross and follow him. But for those of us who are saved, we do have a true love for the Lord only because he first loved us. And here's the challenge for us this morning. Believer, what has come between you and the Lord? We had a very simple illustration at the outset of a little child who's put out and who's jealous because someone is getting in the way. Believer, as God looks on you this morning, as you are before his face and I, what's getting in the way? What have you made an idol of? In spite of all that God has done for you, in spite of his word given into your hand in your mother tongue, in spite of all his benefits, what have you turned to? Thou shalt worship no other God. As I mentioned earlier in Proverbs chapter 21, we're told that jealousy is the rage of a man and the context is the context of the sin of adultery. That was a sin that was also addressed in the ceremonial law. We read of a, a jealousy offering that was specifically to be offered if the sin of adultery had been committed in an Israelite home. And then we find that context of the marriage used again by the Apostle Paul. And I'd like you to turn with me as we close to 2 Corinthians, please. 2 Corinthians in chapter 11. Paul uses the illustration of the marriage covenant. And we find this term, jealousy, employed once again. 2 Corinthians in chapter 11. And we read in verse 2. Let's, let's read verse 1 and verse 2. Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly... And indeed, bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. Paul's saying, he's asking the Corinthian people to listen to him. He's asking them as they read this letter to put up with him. And here's the reason why. Because he's jealous. He has a holy zeal and a warm and a burning desire for them. It's a godly jealousy. And then he goes on in verse 2 to say, For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Paul had a zeal for the well-being, the spiritual well-being and the purity of the people whom God loves. And that is simply a reflection of the love and the zeal that God himself has for his people. And the desire, the jealousy that he has for your love. The Corinthian people were people living living in a a, a pagan world. They were surrounded by sin. Debauchery. I don't need to go on. And they had to be warned by Paul time and again to be faithful. And his desire was that the Lord that he had introduced them to, that he would present them, the Corinthian church, as a chaste virgin to Christ. Doesn't the Bible speak of the church as the bride of Jesus Christ? He is the bridegroom. And we are the bride. 
And we are to dedicate ourselves and devote ourselves entirely to our Lord. We are to love God with all our heart, all our strength, all our mind. Believer, I don't know about you, but it's so easy to let other things come into my mind. And I find that they take such a majority of my time. They take so much of my attention. And when they become a priority, God is not my priority. I failed to love him. Has that ever happened to you? Paul encourages the Corinthians to put up with him because he's jealous. He loves their souls. Believers and unsaved people, you have a pastor, you have a minister in this pulpit who is God's under-shepherd And as the servant of Jesus Christ to you, he will be jealous for your souls. He will be jealous for your spiritual purity. And for the the presentation of you to the Lord Jesus Christ. The office that God has appointed for the good of his people in the New Testament church is the office of the elder, the teaching elder, and the ruling elder. They are your under-shepherds. They are put here to lead you. And they should be, and I trust are, jealous for your spiritual purity. God has appointed them to lead you. And to guide you. And to correct you. Because he's jealous for your love. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And I trust that you will take this word to your hearts this morning. I don't chasten you. The Lord chastens you through his word. Perhaps he is speaking to someone this morning who has allowed a God, an idol, to be constructed in your life. Thou shalt worship no other gods. God is jealous for your love, believer. We are told, thou shalt worship the Lord. And again, how wonderful it is to be able to say this. Thou shalt worship the Lord, thy God. He's your God. He has loved you with an everlasting love. And he calls and commands you this morning to worship no other gods and to love him with all your heart, soul, and strength, and mind. As we close, let me challenge the unsaved. You're without the love that we have been considering. You have no love for God. You're actually an enemy of God. And that means when all is said and done, when God brings those people whom he has loved and called and chastened and whose love he has been jealous for when he brings them to himself and they are presented as a perfect bride, you will not be among that body. And the only way that can change is if you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and you trust in him to save you from your sin. And so I implore you this morning, come to the one who is the friend of sinners. Come to the one who out of his great love gave a savior and a mediator for sinful people. And come today. Come right now. 